I invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I really appreciated um, last week uh, Brooks preaching for us. We had a, we got this couple uh, married in Hawaii where we were. There were about, I think, a dozen, maybe more, 15 or so from Claremont Emanuel who were there at this wedding. Uh, the couple here from the church, so that was a, a sweet time uh, together. And I said coincided with our 44th wedding anniversary, so we were able to celebrate that as well at the end of the week, and it was a sweet time. <laughs> we, were, we relaxed, but there were two days that we walked a lot and got 20,000 steps in both days. So uh, <clears throat> we relaxed, but we feel in good shape. So, um, you know, after becoming a Christian, a close friend of mine who lives in the Los Angeles area uh, was telling me about a man named Mr. Finley who had had a huge impact on his life. He said that Mr. Finley gave off such a calm and loving spirit and people were just attracted to him like a magnet. What he didn't find out until later is that Mr. Finley's daughter had been brutally murdered by a young man they took into the house to try to help him with his life. And... Um, Mr. Finley went to visit this young man in jail and eventually led him to Christ and then continued to go back and visit him in jail to disciple him over the years. And my friend made this comment about Mr. Finley. He said, no wonder we felt Christ's presence through him because the love of Christ had mastered him. And that's my prayer for us, and that's the first thing on your outline. My prayer is that the love of Christ will master all of us, that it will master you, that it will master me, that our lives will be controlled by the love of Christ. Remember that in Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul turns the corner from speaking about gospel doctrine to speaking now about gospel transformation. Uh, he says in verse one, therefore, in light of God's mercy, his mercies. And then he tells us in chapter 12 on what kind of people we should be. And in verses nine to 21 that we're looking at this morning, he talks about how the gospel creates love in our hearts, the love of God for every kind of people that we might encounter in our lives. And Paul begins with the family of God. Uh, with our spiritual family in the church. And then he moves on to talking about our love for outsiders and then our love even for our enemies. Rome is a city that was all about power. Uh, from the things that they had, the structures that they built, like the Roman Colosseum, down to the ideas that they wanted to communicate that they were so proud about in their culture. Paul here is talking about a new kind of power, a power that even Rome could not equal, the power to create this God-like love in our hearts for other people. Back in Romans chapter five, Paul says the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we have, if you're a believer, you have the love of God through the Holy Spirit living in you in your life. And so now we get to show out, we get to pray, Lord, manifest this love through me to the people around me. 
That's the theological truth that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. And so Paul here spells out what that is to look like. So let's read our passage, Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's word. So John the Apostle writes in his letter to John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, dear, you've got this on your outline, dear children, let us not merely say we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. So it's not enough to say that you believe in God, it's not enough to say you believe that God is love, just says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, if you're living in the reality of who God is, and as a Christian, that's the reality we should be living in, that's the worldview that we should be following, then you'll be a loving person. If, if your worldview is God's, it will make a difference in the way you live your lives. It'll make a difference in the way you love the people around you. It's not an accident that the first fruit of the Spirit is love in Galatians 5. Um, we're bankrupt without it, Paul says. So, You've got this on your outline. The way to know that God's love has truly been poured out in your heart is by the way you look at and treat others. Are you treating them differently than when you treated them the way you treated them before you were a Christian? You see them as people that God has created, that he loves. Like you, I know people who say they believe in God, but it really hasn't changed the way they live their lives. They're as selfish and messed up as ever. Actually, we're all kind of selfish and messed up. But when we have the Holy Spirit in us, it's the power to live life differently. And when God's love has been poured out in your heart, you look at yourself differently. You, you have a humility that you didn't have before because you realize who you are and who God is and that you are not God. Our beliefs don't automatically become changed thoughts, and behavior. That happens over time by God's Holy Spirit doing his work in our lives. That's the process of sanctification. 
uh, the process of becoming holy, if you will, looking like Jesus. So what does it mean to live in close Christian community and to have, an, have intimate God-centered relationships? That's really what Paul's spelling out here. You know, you know, it's interesting that we as Americans read Bible through the lens of our culture and our experience. I'll give you an example. You know, we read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, Matthew chapters five through seven, and we think, well, I hear all these commands that I need to obey. You do this, you do this. It gives us a lot of commands. All of those commands are in the plural. So it's you plural do these things. So I think what Jesus is saying is he was saying, I want you to be a part of a community that looks like this in Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapters five through seven. There are so many great statements in Romans 12. Um, I, I, I wanna look specifically at what Christian community, mean, what this means to, to be a part of a Christian community, but there are actually 13 specific exhortations. It crossed my mind in thinking, man, you know, we could do this over 13 weeks. Uh, that might just draw uh, Romans chapter 12 out a little bit longer than we were planning, and we're not gonna do that. We're gonna look at all this passage today, but there is a ton there. Uh, the first thing we see in Romans chapter 12 is that and number one on your outline is that Christian community is like a family. Uh, the apostle begins with a rather general statement in verse nine, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. You know, in classical Greek drama, the word for actor is the word that we get our English word hypocrite from. Um, it was simply one who wore a mask. It was one who was pretending. So what Paul is saying here is that our love must be sincere. It's like stop pretending with one another. Be real about who you are, the struggles you have. There's a book that's called uh, True Faced. It's a takeoff on what we say to somebody who is playing a game, we call them two-faced. But the Christian response is to be true-faced, to be who we really are before God. Um, we're all sinners, and, and we're in this together. We shouldn't be surprised by other people when they sin, when they struggle with sin. And so uh, our loving behavior is not part of an act, but it's taking off our mask God calls us to a, a real and genuine love for each other. And then look at verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. At first glance, we might think this statement is kind of vague. Uh, what does that mean to be devoted? But the Greeks and the Romans understood how radical this was, this love was, and, and how really offensive it was. The word for brotherly love is the word Philadelphia, the city that is not brotherly love, but it's supposed to be. Um, but the first phrase in this sentence in English, be devoted to one another, is actually from two Greek words for love that are combined, phileo, storge. And we're gonna explain those in just a second, but what Paul is saying, and storge is a family love, what Paul is saying is that when you understand the gospel, you will experience a family love, a family bonding with other people in the body of Christ. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. If you've never read that, I would encourage you to read that. He talks about the, we have one word for love in English, the word love. Uh, the, in, in Greek, there are four different words for love. Uh, storge is one of those, and that's the love you have for your family. 
<clears throat> the word phileo, friendship, love. The Greek word for eros is romantic. The Greek word eros is romantic love. And then the final word for love in Greek is agape, which is sacrificial love or servant love. Lewis talks about how unique storge is because all of the other loves require something special. For example, phileo and eros, friendship and romantic love, um, both require some level of attractiveness, something to at least begin the relationship that merits that kind of friendship or romantic love. Uh, storge is different in that it's like a mother's love for their baby, for their child, or a father's love for their child. Uh, it's almost automatic. It's a natural love. It's a, there's a deep connection there, but there's a, it's a family connection. Um, storge is between people who, if, if you had, were not in the same community or family, you probably wouldn't choose to be friends with them. Think of your siblings. Uh, you might choose to be friends with them. Chances are you, don't, you would not choose to be friends with your siblings. Sometimes I think God has a special way of putting the most difficult people in the world to get along with in our own family uh, so that we can learn those lessons um, there. But, and you know what? I know that you guys are creatures of habit. You generally sit in the same seat that you sat in last week. I know you. If you're out of your seat, it messes with my mind. I'm thinking, what are you doing out of your seat? Stay in your seat. Um, there are some people that roam every week. It's like they're, they're, they're just playing a game with me. Find me. It's like, where's Waldo now? I'm looking. I'm trying to find Waldo. Um, but but there's something good about that. There's something good about being in your own seat because you're, you become comfortable with the people who sit around you. That's storge love, that comfortableness. When they're not there, you miss them. You go, I wonder where so-and-so, I can't remember their name, but I should. That's why we have a name tag Sunday, so now you can remember their name. But the challenge is to take the next step. When you see someone that's not around that you know should be there, Know their name. Give them a call. Find out what happened, why they weren't there. Maybe there's something going on. You can pray for them. You can encourage them. So uh, it, it, when someone is, is, is absent, the challenge is to care for them. That's storge love. In talking about storge love, C.S. Lewis says, makes the comment that dogs and cats should always be brought up together because it will broaden, it will broaden their minds. Uh, that's what happens in storge love. You're with people you not, are not normally with in a church. That's a, a perfect example. Uh, but it broadens our mind. It, it teaches us to love people that are different from us. And so Paul is saying love within the family of God, love within the body of Christ should resemble the love at work in a healthy family. So then we should ask, what does a healthy family look like? Well, a healthy family looks like uh, that they don't give up on each other. A, a healthy family is if your sibling develops a problem, you don't bail on them. If your parents become needy as they grow older, you don't say, well, I just don't have the space in my life to do that anymore. No, you change your life. You rearrange things so that you can care for them. That's the nature of being a part of a family. So what Paul is saying is that love in the church should be like that. 
The second part of verse 10, and you've got this on your outline, is that love in the church should communicate the worth of every person. I love the last part of that verse, outdo one another in showing honor. Um, If you were at the men's breakfast uh, yesterday, men, uh, David Warren talked about this verse. Thanks for the setup. Uh, This is perfect. Um, You know, showing honor means that we recognize everybody's value. Um, Paul often did that. In in Philippians chapter one, he writes, and he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He often did that with his coworkers in the faith, with the people that that he loved when he wrote to them. He talked about his love for them. You know, have have any of you ever had uh, Popeye's Louisiana chicken sandwich? Show of hands. Okay, a few of you have. Uh, More of you maybe need to try it anyway. It's pretty good. Um, There's one not far from here on Convoy Street. So, uh, um, they offered me a free sandwich if I said that. No, not really. Just kidding. There's a lady named Cheryl Batchelder who, for 10 years, was the CEO of that company and saw them through a huge, successful turnaround, increased their sales by 50%. She's a Christian. And she wrote a book, a, a business book, called Dare to Serve How to Drive Superior Results by serving others. And here's one of her statements. She says this. She says, the Bible verse that's on my calendar every day is Philippians 2.3 because I haven't found one that's more paramount to how I want to lead my family and my work. And that is, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And then she says, I really like that choice of words, counting others more significant than ourselves. Then she goes through this list of of questions that she would ask herself to make sure she's doing that in reality, in her business, in her family, etc. But Paul is saying in Romans here that we should treat every person as if they're special. As one commentator said, everyone who's a believer are, are like the treasured children of the king that he sent his son to die for. And even those who aren't believers are that way. So outdo one another in showing honor. You know, if you're a competitive person, this is a great verse for you. Uh, because, man, I can't think of a, a better way to uh, be in competition than that. To, to outdo one another in showing honor. Um, The next thing we see, and this is on your outline, is that love in the church should overflow with gospel hope. Look at verses 11 and 12. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. So I want to focus in on on verse 12. There are actually three commands there. Uh, but I think we could put them into one category because all of them speak about an attitude of godly optimism that we should have uh, in all of our relationships, no matter who we're talking to. If you're a believer, uh, God has promised to continue to do the good work that he started in you, in Philippians 1.6. We looked at, not that long ago, at Romans 8.29, that, that what God's goal for us is to make each of us look like Jesus, he wants, that's his goal for our lives. Um, and so God wants to use you to serve others in a very tangible way to encourage them. Uh, just this week, somebody sent me a, a, a great email that was meant to be and was very encouraging to me. 
and um, they were specific and they were, um, they were basically saying, hey, in this one particular area, Kenny, I think you're doing a, a great job. Thank you for doing that. And it was so encouraging for me to get that. So what encourages you? That's what you can easily turn around and do with others. You can, you can say words of encouragement to them. You can write them an email. You can write them a handwritten note. You can give them a call and encourage them. Everyone needs encouragement. I've seen encouragement physically change people. I've seen it lift their shoulders and, and give them hope that they did not have before. That's the power that each of us have. And Paul is saying, you guys need to live that kind of a life where you're encouraging each other. Uh, every believer you meet is somebody who has maybe, every unbeliever you meet is somebody who has not yet experienced the resurrection power of Christ in their lives, but needs it. And, and, and you can give that to them by sharing the gospel with them. We've never talked to anyone who's too far gone. Uh, we all have stories. I know I sure do of people that have come to faith in Christ late in life uh, that we seemingly have been given up on, but there are people that will faithfully pray for them. I've seen those people come to faith in Christ. Like one person said, if you're not dead, then God's not done with you. Uh, so... Be at work, be at prayer for, at, for God to be at work in the lives of the people that, that you love no matter how far gone you think they are. God's promises will always give us hope. Finally, Paul says that love in the church should be expressed with action. It's not on your outline, but you can write that down. Love is a verb. Love is an action. We should be so committed to one another that we bear each other's burdens. Whatever those burdens might be, it says, verse 13, share with the saints and their needs. So what are the needs of the saints? We're aware of those. We share with each other. We bear each other's burdens. People have financial needs. You know, since COVID, we have a benevolence fund. And um, I, I, I don't know the exact number, but probably somewhere to the tune of twenty dollars to $25,000 we've given to people who have had financial needs because of you, because of your generosity because of you putting money in that benevolence fund. So we've been able to help people with their financial needs. We've been able to help people who have health issues. We pray for them, but I know because I hear from the people that are on this list in the, on the back of the worship folder. Uh, keep this in your Bible. Pray for these people on a regular basis. I hear from them that they get, they're getting notes of encouragement and phone calls from you. And that's, that's the way the body is supposed to work. There's people that are struggling with sin and we're to bear their burdens with them. We're not to transfer the burden from them onto us. That's not what it means. We're to take their burden with them to the cross and leave it there. We're not made to bear everybody's burdens ourselves, And so we bear their burdens by, taking, by going with them to the cross and, and committing it to the Lord. Maybe it means confession. They confess their sins to you. And you, in the name of Jesus, remind them of the forgiveness they have in Christ. Um, there are relational strains, and so you work through those together with them. You don't give up on people in the body of Christ. We're to come alongside our brothers and sisters. It, it's Galatians 6 that talks about this, and I just want to read the passage for you. It's, it says this, Live creatively, friends. This is from a, a paraphrase. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him 
saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. This doesn't mean, again, that that we bear it. We take him to the cross. This was one of the distinctive things about the Christians in Rome. Uh, they, They took care of each other. And even their enemies took note of that. Their, their love spilled out onto the streets and to the people that were unbelievers. Share with the saints that are in need, pursue, practice hospitality. And the idea of hospitality wasn't just for believers, it was for everybody who needed help. You know, the best book I know of on hospitality is a book by Rosario Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And if you've never read that book, I would warmly encourage you to read that book. You can listen to it. It's on Audible. It's a great book. Um, She says this. She says, hospitality is an extension of kindness. It is also a divine expectation and not a suggestion. We're commanded. there, There may be some people who have a particular gift of hospitality, but no one's off the hook on this one. We are all called to pursue to practice hospitality. Uh, The Roman emperor Julian was one of the biggest persecutors of the church. And he recognized the the hospitality, if you will, of believers. And he said this in disgust. So he wasn't being positive when he, wasn't trying to be positive when he said this, but it is positive. He said, the Christian cause has been especially advanced by the loving service they give to strangers while those who belong to us in vain look for the help that we should be giving them. So he recognized it. He was a persecutor of the Christians. But the earliest Christians were just so full of of love, not only for one another's needs, but also for needs that they saw that were outside of the body of Christ. That's true hospitality. And that leads us to number two on the outline, and that is that Christian love should be about loving others, meaning those outside the church. You can specify that, loving others outside the church. Paul goes from what love should look like in the church to what love should look like in the world, us being in the world, loving the people who are not believers. Um, We know that he's talking about that immediately when he talks about in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Obviously, you're not gonna get that from inside the church, but outside the church. Bless and do not curse. It's easy to curse your enemies. It's more difficult to pray for them to be blessed. That's where you can begin. If you've got enemies, if you have people that you don't feel uh, warm and fuzzy toward, pray for them. That's where you can begin. And then the, the next thing is how can you act toward them in a loving way? You know, two former students of mine, <clears throat> Fadi, they're Arab Christians. Their names were Fadi and his wife Iman. Their last name was Ramadan. Uh, That's a good Arabic name, huh? Um, They're the head of Child Evangelism Fellowship for the country of Israel. They work mainly with Arabs. Uh, They'll work with anybody who comes to their Child Evangelism Fellowship clubs. In fact, we were taking a tour of what's called the Nazareth Village. 
it's a first century, it's set up to be like a first century village. And there was a young man from Russia who was taking us around and he, I asked him if he lived in Nazareth and he said yes, he was a believer. And I said, do you know Fadi and Iman Ramadan? And he looked at me and he said, uh, I became a Christian through the good news clubs that Fadi and Iman were running. And so it was really fun for me to make that connection uh, there. But there's an Arab greeting that I think explains exactly what Paul's trying to get across here. The Arab greeting, they touch their, their head, they touch their lips, and then they touch their heart. And what they mean by that is I think well of you, I speak well of you, and I have you in my heart. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And then verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So the context is life in the world apart from Christ. One commentator described what we're we're up against when we look into the world. He said this, the world is like this, indifference, non-commitment, disengagement, no sharing, no caring, meals eaten with headphones turned up loud, even separate bedrooms, each with a personal telephone and a television, and if a none-of-your-business attitude. No hassle, no conflict, no accountability, no need to share or reach out or give a rip. Just watch the numbers and look at nobody. And so what Paul is saying is we, as Christians, should stand in contrast to that. The way we live our lives. We should stand out as somebody who's different because Christ has made a difference for us. Uh, The next verse, verse 15, I think, well, the verse we're talking about, rejoice with those who rejoice, Mourn with those who mourn. Someone summed it like this. A sorrow shared is but half a trouble. A joy that's shared is a joy made double. And I think that's true. And this leads us to verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Someone said that humility is the freedom to stop trying to be what we're not and accepting our, and I like this term, appropriate smallness. Because we all should be appropriately small. This is a calling for us to have a caring heart and be vulnerable in a world that is anything but. And then finally, in verses 16 to 21, Paul tells us, and this is number three on your outline, how to live and love in a hostile world. How are we to respond when we're wronged? Look at verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is radical because it's so unlike our natural selves apart from Christ. Uh, What we do on our own is to hit back. And unsanctified common sense says, get even with people. But God's way is far better. So what is far better? Uh, What does God's way look like? Well, first, 
Trust God. That's on your outline. Trust God. Verse 19 says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. It's not an easy thing to trust God to work in the life of someone who has hurt us. That's hard. Trusting him means that I believe that God is going to bring into account every sin ever committed against me, and I don't have to be the one that gets vengeance. God's wrath may come to ultimate judgment on those who've abused you, but realize too that on the other hand, God's wrath may also bring your enemies to repentance in this life. Whatever happens, our God will be perfectly fair. Genesis 18 says that, will will not the judge of all the earth do right? That's the God we serve without reserve. He is a God who will do what is right, what is just. Knowing that his justice sometimes led you to God's grace and hopefully it will lead them to God's grace. And then the second part of this in verse 20, it says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I remember first reading that and thinking, I don't know what that means, but I kind of like that for my enemy. Well, heaping fiery coals on their head was an expression for Jews that was meant to say they're waking this person up to reality. To the reality of in this context, who God is. So it'd be like us saying, you know what, I'm gonna wake you up in this spirituality by throwing a cup of cold water in your face. That's the equivalent of what it was saying. So your kindness, in other words, is so surprising to your enemy, so seemingly out of character in that moment, that it'd be like saying that I'm gonna, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to, 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 to wake you up, uh, to wake them up, to doing what's wrong, what they've done wrong, uh, to to bring them back to reality, if you will. Uh, Either that or it increases judgment on them that that God will pour out on them on on judgment day. So let me ask you, is there someone in your life right now that you would like to get back at? Maybe not, but maybe there is. Is there someone that you're secretly resenting It's time to break the cycle of anger and to repay their evil towards you with good. What what can you do to serve them? You can begin by praying for them. And you say, well, that sounds great, but man, it just sounds so hard to do. It sounds basically impossible. But again, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you that you can draw on. Back in verse 16, Paul says, don't be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. I think what Paul's saying is, and this is on your outline, remember the gospel. Remember what saved you. He's reminding us how desperate we were when God saved us. We we can thank him that he didn't repay our evil against him and our sin with evil. Because if he had, we'd all be in big trouble. But that, knowing that, realizing that will make us humble. And so as we're reminded of how badly we need forgiveness, 
It shifts our perspective from being victims and seeking, who are seeking revenge to seeing ourselves as people who desperately need forgiveness more than anyone. This isn't about downplaying the wrong that we've experienced. On the other hand, it's a reminder to us that we're all sinners first. And what that means is that God will never ask us to forgive someone more than he's already forgiven us. I heard someone give this advice to a married couple. It was a married couple who were just in this cycle of not forgiving each other, of holding grudges against each other. You can imagine in a marriage relationship, that's not going to work very well uh, for long. And so this couple had gone to a Christian counselor, and uh, in hearing from this couple, they said the counselor said one thing that was, it just hit them right where they were. It was so good to hear. And that what the counselor said was this, you're first a sinner, and a distant, distant second is that you're one who has been sinned against. And so what that means is that when, when, when your partner, when your marriage partner comes and asks you to forgive them, you offer forgiveness quickly. You repair the relationship quickly. When you've blown it and you recognize you've blown it, you ask for forgiveness quickly. Uh, in fact, Dr. John Gottman, foremost authority on, on marriage today, is Jewish actually, not even a believer, but recognized as one of the biggest authorities on marriage, says, you know, how many arguments you have does not show the success or failure of your marriage, but how quickly you repair, how quickly you ask for forgiveness, how quickly you give forgiveness. That's the key, he says. And isn't that true in all relationships? Um, So again, it leads me to humility. It leads me to saying, okay, there's a lot more that I have in common with the sinner who needs forgiveness than with a righteous God who is being asked to grant forgiveness. So the important things, and this is on your your outline, uh, the important thing in all these relationships is to remember Jesus. That's what living the Christian life is all about. Do you remember what Paul told us at the beginning of the chapter? Uh, It's on your outline. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's read it from your outline together aloud. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. And so in light of God's incredible mercies to us, how can we show that same mercy to others? And this is what Paul is driving at in the second part of Romans that begins in chapter 12. Every Christian, um, Beginning with love is produced by, if you want that love produced in your life, it's by going deeper into Jesus and who he is, into the gospel. And so the point of Romans 12 is to get so filled with Christ that every single relationship we have is impacted by him. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that reminds us how we should act in love toward each other within the church and toward those who are on the outside and even towards our enemies. And so, Lord, will you produce that in us? 
we know that it, it, it doesn't mean anything for us to love people who love us. But the challenge is to love the people who don't love us. And the world says get even and that will heal your emotional wound. But that's a lie. Vengeance can't heal wounds. Only your grace can do that. And so, Father, will you give each of us specifically one person in our life that we might love differently as a response to the gospel so that we might bless those who persecute us and not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you, Father, for the healing that you can bring through us to our physical families. Thank you, Father, that um, we have a family love from you that we can have for each other. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to practice this more and more right here in our church, in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our place of work. Help us to see that it's not, we're not worshiping you if we just come here to worship and we're not involved in deep relationships of love with each other. Father, we ask that you would help us to live this out by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is from the Apostle Paul in Romans 15. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. I hope you can stick around for the baptism. Tempter 